Hallelujah. The Lord bless you this morning as you're seated. We began last week a series called Hearing God that we're going to focus on through the fall, and the intention is not just to give us more information or how-to. The intention is to bring us step-by-step to a place where at the end of our time together in this topic, you are hearing God. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Right? That's the intent. It's not just for information. It's for God to impart something to us. And I believe he wants to impart to us a fresh expectation of hearing his voice and of being led by the Lord in very deliberate ways. He intends that for everybody. But as we'll see this morning, we tend to get away from that for various reasons. You know, throughout the revelation of God's word, there's one thing that you see. It is simply this, that God wants to be with us. That's what he wants. He just wants to be with us. In fact, God wants every one of us here this morning to experience what you might call a with God kind of life. That has always been God's intention for his creation. You look back as early in the Genesis account, and we see that God made Adam and Eve. He made the first man and woman, and he placed them in a beautiful garden. And what did he do? In the cool of the day, he walked with them. He fellowshiped with them. He talked with them. Now, Scripture says that later on they were deceived, and they chose another rule over God's rule, and they went their way. And yet the beautiful thing is that we see that even though they weren't searching after God, they were hiding, God searched for them. God was looking for them because he wants to be with them. You read through the rest of the Old Testament scriptures, we see other people like Enoch who walked with God, and then it says he was no more, God took him. We see Moses was a man who talked with God face to face. Abraham was a man who talked with God as a friend, speaks with a friend. He was a friend of God. Abraham was a man through whom God would raise up a nation. Why? Because he wanted to reintroduce his presence to that people. He wanted to present himself to that people to dwell in their midst. Why? Because he wanted his people, Israel, as they walked with God, to reintroduce the presence of God to the rest of the world. It was in Isaiah chapter 7, you may remember, where the prophet said, God spoke to the prophet and said, the day will come when a young girl, a virgin, will give birth to a son, and his name shall be called what? Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You see the heart of God in that? God is saying, that's always my longing, my desire. It is to be with you. And then about 700 years later, the forerunner to Jesus, John the Baptist, would come, and the message he would preach is repent. Change the way you're thinking. Break out from the way this culture has you thinking. Repent, because why? The kingdom of heaven is near. The presence of God dwelling with man again is near. It is at hand. And Jesus preached that same message. And in a way that none of us could have imagined, certainly nobody in Jesus' day could have imagined, the Bible tells us that the visible presence of God appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? So that people could know exactly what God is like. Isn't that amazing? That God could know, what, that we could know what God is like. Not only know his attributes, but just like any other human being, we can touch him. We can talk to him. We can have relationship with him. We can hear him. That's what God wants us to understand. Not just the miracle working power that demonstrated his love. He wants you to know that I'm tangible. You can actually have a relationship with me. Of course, before ascending back into heaven, Jesus said to his followers, he said, go to all peoples everywhere and tell them the good news. And he said, I will always be with you. And it would only be a few weeks later on the, on the Feast of Pentecost that there would be Jews gathered from all countries of the world. They would come to Israel for the great feast. And during the Feast of Pentecost, many were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with God. 
And when they went back to their homes, went back to their countries, you know what happened? They didn't take religion with them. They took God with them. They took the presence of God with them. Why? Because God wanted to be everywhere where people are. He wanted to reintroduce his presence throughout the world. And he did that when the church was born. And in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we come full circle again. The tree of life that used to be in the garden in Genesis is now in the city of God. And here's God's promise to its citizens. And we will be there. Revelation 21. Now God's home is with people. His home. He will live with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be what? With them. Right? Just like we're together here. Right? Turn to the person beside you and say, you're with me. Right? You're with me. It's that close. It's that near. God says, I will be with you. And he will be their God, and God will be their God. They will be his people, and he will be their God. God's message to us in his word, through Oda's word, through human experience, is simply this I am with you. I'm here. I'm with you. I am with you. The only question is will you be with me? That's the whole point. As Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, God was in Christ for this reason, reconciling man to himself. That's why God came in this world in the person of Jesus. It was to bring you back to him, to bring you close to him. Now, this whole idea of being with God doesn't really grab us, I find, in our Western culture, because I think we're a little bit confused as to where God really is. Now, the Bible talks about that, but there's an interesting passage in Acts chapter 11 where actually God is dealing with Peter. He tells a story of a time when God was dealing with him because Peter had this idea that God was coming back to his people, but it was just kind of for them. It wasn't for everybody. And so God gives Peter a vision to make him understand, no, 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 Peter, what you've got, what you've experienced, this is for you to hold on to. This is to give away. This is for everybody. I want to be throughout the whole world again. And Peter tells his story in Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 5. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from the sky by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call unclean. Now, the point here is not the clean or unclean animals or just what he saw. The point I want to underline here are the words that Peter deliberately used in the Greek language that translate in three different words in the English language. In the Greek, in the Greek language, he used the word orano. Orano in the Greek is translated in English as air, sky, and heaven. Now, follow me. The exact same word is used to describe these three locations from which Peter saw this vision from which God spoke. Air, sky, and heaven. In other words, the word orano can mean the atmosphere around us, which is the air. It can mean the atmosphere above us, which is the sky. And it can mean the atmosphere where God is, which we call heaven. We say, where's heaven? Well, heaven's wherever God is, right? That's where God dwells. That's where his throne is. We call it heaven, the presence of the Lord. Now, you see, the reason I underline this is because many people think that God is distant. If I were to ask you, where is heaven, 
would it come to your mind, heaven's in outer space somewhere? Has that ever crossed your mind? Right? It's way out there somewhere beyond the stars. That's where heaven is. And so because we think that, we think of God as being distant, but the Bible reveals that he's actually so close to us that when he speaks to us, just like when he spoke to Peter, he speaks to us from out of the atmosphere around us that surrounds us, the air. God lives and moves in the very same atmosphere that we are in. That's not that profound because the scripture actually says his name will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us, right? Did anybody sense the presence of the Lord this morning when we were worshiping him? You know why that is? Because he's here. That's why you sense someone's presence, right? I mean, if you're at home by yourself and someone snuck in through your basement, and, you know, you begin to feel like maybe somebody's here. Why? Because they are, right? They're there. That's why you feel their presence. It's not just goosebumps that we feel on Sunday. We feel the presence of the Lord because he's promised to be with us when we gather in his name. Now, when God says, for example, in Isaiah, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool, again, we tend to think that meaning, we kind of in our minds, I think, well, God is sitting out in, in space somewhere. He's got these long legs. And, and because the earth is so small compared to the galaxies, you know, that he kind of rests his feet on our little planet, right? Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. I don't believe that's what he means. I believe the picture he's trying to show us is, listen, it's kind of like when dad is sitting in his lazy boy in the front room and the kids are playing. Now, I'm not saying God's some old man sitting in a lazy boy. It's not what I'm saying. But the proximity is the same. The father is sitting in his lazy boy. He's reclined. His feet are up. The children are playing. Why? He's there with them. He's in the home. He's in the room. He's interacting with them. In the same way, when God is, is seated in the heavens, when God has his, has his feet down on this earth, to me, what I, what I believe he's saying is, listen, I fill this whole creation I've made for you to enjoy. I'm right here with you. This is where I dwell, in the realm of the spirit, of course, but this is where I dwell. I am here. That kind of excited me. It may not even be biblical, but it excited me. Is that okay? I think it is biblical. I think it is biblical. I was saying to, I think it was one of the staff or Ben or somebody, I said, I got a great sermon for Sunday. I just got to find a scripture. Got a great idea. And anybody who preaches, you know what I mean. You just, you know, something happens, you're taking a walk or whatever, the Lord drops a, a thought in your mind and then he begins to teach you and, and supply scripture and so on. So that was kind of my journey preparing this word and it really began to excite me, especially I began to dissect the Acts chapter 11 passage. The Lord wants us to understand that he is right here. Now, I'll illustrate this a bit more. When God created the earth as a home for mankind, the Bible says this, Genesis 1, then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens, and he called the space sky, or atmosphere is another word that is used, or air, or heaven. Another translation actually uses the word heaven. Why? Because just as in the Greek language, in the Hebrew language, sky, heaven are oftentimes synonymous. So the point is, is we have this atmosphere that God has made for everything that we need, right? If you live within the atmosphere of the earth, God has given everything, every living organism needs, human beings, plants, animals, whatever, everything we need is in this system he has made for us. Does that make sense? I have a little graph. Oh, there you go. Here's the graphic there. Okay. 
That's just a cross-section, okay, a picture of the earth. But the idea I want you to imagine in your mind's eye or to see is what God has made for us is a realm in which he has created us to live. And everything within that realm that, that we need is there. Does that make sense? Okay? Everything we need, God has placed within this realm. The air that we breathe, the sunshine, the, the vegetation, animals, whatever it may be, our lives, it is all within that realm. It is all sustained, all contained within there. Now, commentators estimate that the sky, or what the Bible calls the firmament, the top, the canopy, the Bible also uses in the Hebrew language the word dome, this canopy, that it actually tapers off at about 800 to 1,000 miles above the earth. So we can see it's very, very high. What most of us understand is outside of that canopy, outside of that firmament, there is no life, right? Life can't be sustained. We weren't made to live outside of that. Everything we need is inside. Are you following me so far? It's all there. Inside is everything that we need. God has provided everything that we need. I have a second uh, picture here to, give you, to break it down a bit more. Inside this canopy, we have air, we have sky, we have heaven. All the same word, okay? Not only has God placed within this canopy everything we need to live, to breathe, to eat, to, to, to live life to the full, but here's the amazing thing. Inside that canopy as well, God has chosen to dwell with us. That excites me. I don't know about you. When it comes to hearing God, as, as the scripture says, I didn't jot it down for this morning, but the Bible says we don't have to go up into the heavens and pull them down. We don't have to go down to the seas and raise them up. He is here. He has made everything that we need to sustain us, to give us a fulfilling, abundant life, everything that we need, and not just stuff. He's given us himself. He has made us and he dwells with us. He is in the same realm that we are in. That is exciting. He wants us to know, I'm right here with you. And I want you to experience a with God kind of life. I want you to know what it is to walk each day, as the hymn writer said, to walk with me and to talk with me and to know that you belong to me and that I belong to you. That's exciting. Now, life would be wonderful if it were only God and us living in this world that he created. And there was a time when it was just man and just God and all the other beautiful things that he made. But the Bible reveals that there's also another being. There is another presence in this realm as well. His name is Satan, the Bible says, the devil. And he was granted access into this realm, and he was granted authority in this realm, because the initial title owners of the earth, Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God, believed Satan's lies, and basically handed things over to him, he gained access and authority in this realm. We understand that, right? I won't go into great detail on that because in Genesis, the Bible says when God created man and woman, Adam and Eve together, he said, I want you to multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over this world. It's yours to rule, to learn how to rule. It's yours to enjoy. But they gave that deed over to the enemy when they disobeyed the Lord. Now, not only was the devil given entry, but we understand as well that, the, that the, every demon that had followed Satan and rebellion against God was also given entry into this realm that you see right here. So now this territory that was created solely for mankind, with everything that we need, now keep that in mind, everything that we need, was given to us at creation. 
right? Everything we need. Initially, it was all there for us to enjoy. But now there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God where there's life and joy and health and peace and provision and on and on it goes. There's also a kingdom of Satan in which there is darkness and destruction and deception and decay. You can name, the list goes on. We see the evidence all around us today. So there are two kingdoms now within this realm. Paul referred to Satan as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we're seeing that everywhere in the news today. Now, what Paul wants to understand is Satan has authentic power, and he uses that power to display his evil. You see, what you are seeing in the evil of our culture, of our world today, is simply the evil of a hellish realm in the spirit that is being allowed to break into the realm in which we live through people who will serve him, through people who will live the way he wants them to live, where you begin to manifest the kingdom that you serve. And so it breaks into the kingdom of man, and we see the destruction of what is going on today, that display of evil, Paul says, through sons and daughters of disobedience and also through the demons that he commands. Now, the reason Satan is called a prince is because there's only one king. Let me say it again. He's called a prince because there's only one king. And the king's name is Jesus Christ. And by the power of his cross, Jesus said in John 12, now the prince of this world will be driven out. He's not talking about driven out of that realm that we saw a moment ago because he's still here until the Lord wraps everything up. One day that will happen. But what he's saying is that you and I, sons and daughters of obedience, not disobedience, but obedience, we get to get in on that activity of identifying and driving out the powers of darkness wherever we go. As we preach the gospel of Christ, as we love people, as we lay hands upon the sick, as we bring the good news, we get to participate with the Lord, and it's a lot of fun. There really is that nothing that gives you a more natural, God-given high than the anointing of God just moving through your life and seeing the Lord set somebody free or seeing the Lord bring somebody into light or seeing their lives changed by the power of Christ, submission to his lordship. Anyways, we have lots of stories. He even had some yesterday uh, in the baptism, which was, which was great. So the Lord says, now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now in Luke chapter 10, you might remember the story, Jesus had commissioned 72 of his disciples to go out and just preach the gospel, to go share the good news throughout all of Israel with signs following, go and lay hands on the sick, cast out demons, all those wonderful things. The disciples come back to him, and in verse 17, they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now, you've you got to put yourself in their shoes back then. They'd never seen any of this kind of stuff. They were absolutely amazed of the power of God flowing through their lives. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. And that, that promises you and me as well. Jesus said, listen, I want you to understand. I have placed you in this realm, in this domain called earth. Everything contained within inside, all that you need. I have shown you what's important what's not important. But you see, now there's another kingdom there. And this, that kingdom is going to be, the kingdom of darkness is going to be there for a while. And what that kingdom is going to try to do it's going to try to get you out of my kingdom into its kingdom. It's going to try to get you, rather than serving my purposes, serve its purposes. That same enemy is going to try to pull the wool over your eyes, just like it did to Adam and Eve. I show you everything I've given to you. I've provided for you everything that you need. 
But the enemy is going to try to sidetrack you. He's going to try to get you engaged in his enterprises that you never realize your purposes, that you never experience the true fulfillment of what I have made you for to know and to enjoy. How does he do that? How does the devil incapacitate people who are filled with God? How can the devil possibly defeat people who are full of God? The very God of which Scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Well, then how does he beat us? How does he silence millions of people around the world who have on their lips the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of which Paul said, I'm not ashamed. It's the power of God to save anybody, change anybody. How does he silence us? How does he incapacitate us? Listen to what John writes and ask if maybe this relates to you in some way. John says this, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. You see, the love of the Father not only drives out all fear, it drives out every desire that the enemy would place in your life that would lead you from the Father. For the world offers only, this is all it offers, a craving, notice a craving, never satisfied, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. They are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. In other words, everything you're pursuing, it's going to be gone. Why are you wasting your time? But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And to piggyback on what Jesus said, not only will you live forever, but everything you've invested in the kingdom will go on before you, and it will be there to greet you. It will be there forever. It will never rust. It will never decay. It will never be devoured. It is safe. Invest in those things. Now, when John says to not love this world, he's not referring to the beauty of creation. He's not saying, listen, you can't enjoy nature. You can't enjoy all these things that God has made for your enjoyment. In fact, I love the old hymn many years ago, the hymn writer penned. He said, this is my father's world. I love that hymn. This is my father's world. What is he saying? He said, in all of creation, I see my father's nature. That's where nature comes from, by the way. It's not mother nature. There's no mother nature. What we see in creation, Romans tells us, is the very nature of God, his, our creator. We can look at nature and say, Lord, it points my eyes toward you. You are amazing that you made all these things, and you made it for me. The nature of God, I can enjoy that. No, the world that John tells us not to love in the Greek language is the word cosmos. And what is cosmos? Cosmos is talking about an organized system headed by Satan that leaves God out and opposes everything that is of God. That is the world John is talking about, a world system. Cosmos is a system of artificial joy and artificial fulfillment that is constantly trying to pull at us. And the primary way that Satan draws us and pulls at us is by convincing us that material possessions and physical comfort are more real and more important than the spiritual realities revealed in God's Word and revealed by His Holy Spirit as we walk with Him. That's what the world spirit does. And the way the spirit manifests itself, the evil is manifested, one way is through the spirit of materialism. Materialism tries to convince us that the things that we see, as John says, 
the things that we crave, the physical pleasures and so on, that they're actually more real and more important than what God says really is. And we become materialistic when we live like nothing exists except the material world. Now, I know we're real quick, and I'm as guilty as you sometimes in this. But we're really quick to say, well, look, that's not me because I don't deny the spirit realm. I know the, the spiritual realm is real. That's not the question. It's living like it's not. You see, I can believe all I want about heaven and yet not live like I'm ever going there or ever in a hurry to get there. Right? If you want to know whether or not you're materialistic, this is the only time I'll give you permission. Take out your phone. Open your Bible app, your Bible app, sorry, your banking app, <laughs> and look at last month's statements. Really doesn't matter what you say or I say. That will show you where your heart is. It will show you where your kingdom is, where your devotion is, what you're looking to for pleasure, what you're looking to for happiness. We live in a culture based on materialism. The word culture is interesting. Actually, it comes from a Latin word. It's also borrowed from the French language. In the French, the word is cult, which is worship. What is culture? Culture is what you worship, right? That's all it is. It's what you worship. It's which God that you serve. As Jesus said, you can't serve both. You can't serve God and mammon. You'll love one and hate the other. You can't do both. It's one or the other. And that's the spirit that is constantly at work with us in this society that we live in today. There are demonic spirits driving our secular culture. What a secular culture is, very simply, is it's a, it's a culture that leads God out. Secular means not spiritual, not giving any thought to the spirit realm, to greater realities, but rather it leaves God out of the equation. And it tries to draw us into a system, as Paul says, of the last days, that loves pleasure instead of loving God. Materialism is a spirit that drives and controls today's population. It, involves, it revolves entirely around money, it revolves around possessions, around pleasure, around sex. It's all about ego. It's about how people feel about themselves, how things make them feel about themselves. It's about fears and compulsions and needs and desires. Friends, our lives are just filled with billboards and advertisements that do one thing. They keep us preoccupied with a superficial life. That is the intention all the time. Superficial living. And you know the danger of superficial living? It makes it real easy for the devil to lead you and control you and lead you from one thing to the next thing, from one trend to the next trend, from one pursuit to another pursuit, from one debt to the next debt, from one bondage to the next bondage. It's what the spirit of this world does, constantly making you think that what you need is more. I just need more. I just need something else. Just need to be like that person. Just need to have this thing, whatever it may be. Why? Because the best way to control you is to get you to obsess over things that really don't matter. The best way to waste your life is for the devil to get you to obsess over things that don't matter. Things that he knows he can cause you to crave, but at the end of the day, they're not going to be around anymore. They're a waste of time. Things that are not essential to your existence. Things that have nothing to do with God's reason for your life. Jesus said in Luke 12, he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed, every kind. Because life is not measured by how much you own. 
Paul calls it in 1 Timothy 4, a seducing spirit in these last days. And he says, friends, that seducing spirit is so serious, it will actually lead many Christians away from the Lord in the last days. They will fall away. I found it interesting, the word seduce literally means this, to persuade someone to abandon their duty. Isn't that interesting? To persuade someone. What does that mean? It means the people of God who live within a realm, a sphere, that is completely provided for by God. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough concerns for itself. He says, the father loves the birds enough to feed them. He loves the lilies enough to clothe them. More beautiful than the king Solomon in all of his splendor. Will he not meet your needs? Will he not care for you? Don't you live in this realm? Don't you live in this kind of biosphere, this sphere atmosphere where God not only supplies everything you need, but God is actually here with you. He's right here. What more do you need? Paul said, in him, we live and we move and we have our being. He's the reason we exist. Jesus said, beware. Because the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the serpent, who's been deceiving mankind from the beginning, he is going to try to seduce you. He is going to try to get you to abandon your duty. He's going to try to tie up your time. He's going to try to tie up your finances. He's going to try to tie up your energy so you're never involved in kingdom of God enterprises and you never experience the abundant life that Jesus has for all of us. You exist, but you're never alive. You're never alive unto God. You're bent over. You get your nose to the grind. You're going from Monday to Friday, praying for the weekend. That's all it's about. And he says, you're walking by need, you're walking by people, you're missing miracles, you're missing what God is doing. If you just open your eyes, withdraw from that kingdom that you have bought into and begin to walk in my kingdom, walk in my spirit where there's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Where you have been given so much freely that you might freely give. Oh, we are so carnal. We say, oh, God, if you would just give me more, I would do more for you. If you would just give me money, I'd give it all away. He says, no, you wouldn't. I'm not giving you another dime. Why would I give you money? You're already in debt. Why would I give you money? As James, you just consume it upon yourself. You don't want it for me and for my kingdom. Somehow you think your heart is going to change. If you have more money, it's not going to change. You get into my kingdom. You start living in my kingdom. I'll start trusting you with kingdom resources. God's not stupid. He knows who just bring you into greater bondage. The last thing a person with a financial need, uh, problem needs is money. Money never solves money problems. It's always a matter of the heart. That's what it is. You start living, you start sacrificing, you start obeying the Lord and what he has given you, and he will give you more. And he will use you to bless it, whatever it may be, in your time, your resources, your talents, whatever it may be. He will give you more. But you've got to begin to show that you are living in his kingdom. You've got to surrender to his lordship and stop being uh, seduced and persuaded to abandon your duty. You've got a duty. Paul says, listen, if you have enlisted, you want to please the one who's enlisted you. You don't have time for ordinary civilian affairs. That's why Jesus said, the New Testament writers warned over and again, they said, stay alert. You've got to beware. You've got to listen. In the midst of all the noise, Jesus says to everyone who will listen, Matthew 6, seek first God's kingdom. Seek first what God wants. And then your other needs will be met as well. Well, how do you know what God wants? You ask him. You talk to him. 
say, Pastor, I can't hear God. I, I try, but he seems so far away. Friends, I'll tell you right now, the most difficult part in hearing God's voice, it's not in the hearing. No, it's in the humbling of yourself. That's all it is. Jesus said, if you'll just draw away and come to a quiet place, I'll talk with you. It's not in the hearing. It's not that we can't hear God. We are so preoccupied, so infatuated with, so crave so many other things. The Lord says, if you will humble yourself before God, resist the devil, he will flee. Humble yourself before God, I will raise you up. Time and time again, the scripture says, humble yourself. Renounce that system of artificial joy and fulfillment that we literally buy into. The Lord promised in 2 Corinthians 6, he said, come out from this world system, I put in parentheses, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters. Come out first. Not for the big bad world, people, and going to dances, whatever you want to consider the world. No, no. Come out from the system that you bought into, that you're giving all your time and energy to. Come out from that, and I will receive you. Why? Because I'm right here. I'm not out there somewhere. I'm right here. Speak my name. I'm there. Quiet your heart. You'll listen to me. Go for a walk. You'll hear my voice. Get away from the noise. It's not complicated. But you've got to decide which system you want to live in. If you want to live in the system of darkness, it is filled with noise. It is filled with clutter. It is filled with waste. You know what? You can live in a busy world and you can still walk through the day with peace in your heart. You can still walk through the hustle and bustle of all the demands we all have on us and you can be led by the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you never have stress, but you bring those things to the Lord, and he continues to guide you. We've got to finish up here. Jesus had to depend on prayer. He had to depend on solitude to hear God's voice, and he stayed on mission. Because the same forces that pulled at you and me, they pulled on him. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we are. But what the difference was is he didn't drink the Kool-Aid. That was the difference with Jesus. Because he knew that our wisdom and our strength is found in abiding and listening and obeying. And more times than not, our peace is found by simply saying no to that world spirit that constantly says to us, you don't have enough. You need more. You don't have time to hear God. You're on your own. That lying spirit. You know, people think that Jesus was somehow countercultural, but I don't believe he was at all. Jesus didn't try to be radical. He just lived for God normally. And that is so radical to the world spirit, the world way of thinking, he stood out. But he was just doing his thing. He was just walking with God. He was just prioritizing what was important and let go of stuff that wasn't. Remember when they tried to make him king? That's the world system. Don't have to go to the cross. Oh, you, you do miracles? We're going to make you king. And the Bible says there are thousands of people around. They want to make him king. And what did Jesus do? He just slipped open the mystery and went on his way. Yeah, no, you can have that. That's not what I'm after. That's not what I'm after. And you look through Jesus' life, and he says by his actions time and again, he says, listen, I'll never worship that. That's not my culture. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not where I want to be. That's not the stuff I want to be giving myself to. I want to be doing things that matter. That's what he meant when he said, I'm doing my Father's will. That's what I'm here for. That's what he's saying. I'm doing what matters. And how many believe that Jesus did what mattered? Didn't he? You don't give up a whole lot. You actually enter into an abundance that the Lord has promised for all of us. 
I want you to think back to that picture of the firmament for a second. I think we have it there. If we can just bring it up. This world into which God has placed us with everything that we need, and in this world as well, he himself chooses to live with us. That is the life that Jesus modeled because he wants us to live a with God kind of life too. What I'm saying is that Jesus wasn't driven by a system that leaves God out, but rather he lived in a system that was led by the Holy Spirit. And he discovered, like David, that the Lord is my shepherd, and I have all that I need, all that I need. In Luke chapter 10, we know the story well. Jesus is at his friend Lazarus' house with his sisters Martha and Mary. And he gets there, and as was the custom, Martha's frantic. She's just doing all the stuff in the kitchen, getting everything ready. It seemed to be the reasonable thing to do. She's looking around for Mary. Mary's not there. You know what it's like? Ladies' company drops in, right? You're frantic. Well, at least your sister should help. She's not there. She sees Mary with Jesus, sitting around chatting with the guys, chatting with Jesus. And she says to Jesus, which she expected Jesus to be on her side, Jesus, you know the customs. Tell Mary to help me. And Martha must have been dumbfounded when Jesus said, Martha. In fact, for emphasis, he said it twice. Martha, snap out of it. I see you running around, all the stuff that you're doing. He says, you are worried and troubled over so many things. Get this. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. There's an interesting book by Gary Keller, best-selling book. It's called The One Thing. I've never read it. When I was doing some Google searches for pictures, a book came up. I said, hey, somebody wrote a book called The One Thing read the summary of it, and it said basically this. His proposition is that the only thing that stands between you and success in everything you do is the ability to do one of two things. Number one, dismiss distractions, and number two, concentrate on your one thing. Dismiss distractions, concentrate on your one thing. That sounds like a great idea. Sold millions of copies. The only thought I would add is this that you better make sure that your one thing is the right thing. You see, that's the difference. And there's a whole lot of, of teaching out there. There's a whole lot of motivational talk out there. You've got to discover your one thing. And friends, I believe that. But listen, you are stupid on your own. You're a dumb sheep. You are easily deceived. Here, sheepy, sheepy, here's some nice green grass, right? And if we leave it up to our own wisdom, and I see Christians do it all the time, and we're all tempted at some time or another, the enemy will say, here's what you need. This will make you happy. Oh, and you know what? And God can use it too. And so we give our lives to it, or we give a season of our life to it, and we run, and we train, and we pursue, and we might even reach our goal. But if it's not the one thing, that Jesus has for us in his kingdom, you will lose even that. You will waste that season of your life. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You will waste it. The one thing Jesus said that is worth being concerned about is simply this. Know me. Know me. Seek me with all your heart. Sell the field. Purchase the pearl of great price. Know me. And out of your knowledge of me will come discernment and understanding and wisdom as to what my plan for you is, what you are to give yourself to, 
what you are not to tie yourself or your resources or your energies up into. I will tell you, abide with me, hear me, obey me. Why? Because that is the one thing you can do that by doing it, everything else will either be easier or you'll realize is completely unnecessary. There is great freedom when you have permission from the Lord to say no to stuff and to people. Really free. I'm going to ask the musicians to join me. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow who? They follow me. They follow me. Paul said that God has not given us a spirit of fear and compulsion and drive. He says, I've given you a sound mind so you can track with the Holy Spirit. You can be sensitive to hearing God's voice. Because God doesn't live out there somewhere. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He lives in the very atmosphere that we are sitting in right now. This is where he lives. This is where he hangs out with us. He is as near as our life. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want to give you some homework. I want to encourage you to be learning how to hear God's voice. We're going to talk more about it in the next few weeks ahead of us. But you may remember the scripture I told you to reflect on, 1 John chapter 2. If you want to jot it down or just think about it in your mind or put it on your phone, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. I want you to read that scripture sometime this week, even today, tomorrow, while it's still fresh in your mind, and ask the Lord. You might have a little journal beside you and say, Lord, would you show me the appetites of my heart? Would you show me what I really crave? Maybe just take out your bank statement. Honestly, Lord, would you show me the kingdom that I serve? where my priorities are, where my passion really is. And then ask the Lord, Lord, what do I need to do to begin to hear you? Do I need solitude? Do I need to be reading your word? Do I need a journal? We'll talk more about these in the days ahead. Do I just need to obey the last thing you've told me to do? I haven't done that yet. The Bible says those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. I'll let you know a little secret. I grew up in a church tradition that basically taught me, and, and, and it was very sincere, I believe, but just kind of communicated this imagery in my mind that, you know, to be a Christian, you're always swimming against the current. You're always swimming against the big, bad world out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, it's just a struggle to see Jesus. You know, I just got to, like, you know, I, I don't know what being a Christian is, but I know what it's not. <laughs> I know what I can't do, what I'm not allowed to do, you know, and so I've got to kind of just, not, not everybody's that way, but that, that's a, a way we're, we're trained to think sometimes, I think, even unknowingly. But friends, we're not called to swim against the current. We're called to step in the river of the Holy Spirit and to be led by the flow of the Spirit where He's moving and going. That's what we're called to. And that current of the Holy Spirit will take you into the swamp of our culture. It will take you into that river of sewage that's in our culture. Not so we just stand with our finger and point all the bad things that you were doing, but rather we are in the river of God and we flow into those dirty places and we bring life. And we bring cleansing and healing. We bring truth into those places because we're led by the Spirit. And that's all the Lord is asking us. Everything you need, just like in the natural world, I've given it to you. It's all here. Breathe. There's air. God made that. There's also life and breath in the Spirit. 
And everything of the enemy's design is to get you away from the Lord, to consume you, your time, your energy, your resources, busy, 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 got lots of stuff to do, because he wants you to live in his kingdom. The Lord says there's two kingdoms. They're both in this realm. I want you to walk in my kingdom. I want you to stop being seduced. I want you to identify where the world spirit is enticing you and drawing you away and just exhausting you. If we walk with Jesus, exhaustion should not characterize our lives. Refreshing, renewing, rejuvenating. It doesn't mean there's not times that we're not tired, but we're never aimless. We're never pointless. We don't just have our nose to the grind and do the system. We walk in the spirit. And the way that we do that is to learn, to understand the Lord speaks to us. He wants to. But he says, all you've got to do is pull yourself away from the noise. That's where it begins. There's no magic formula. You pull yourself away from the noise, and I will speak to you. Do you know why? Because I am as close as the mention of my name. I'm right here with you. Emmanuel, God with us. I'm right here. Amen? I mean, you could literally just put your hand up and say, high five, God. He's right here. Is that too weird? I hope not, because if it is, you've just been singing to yourself for the last you know, half hour. <laughs> While you're singing to the God who is here. He doesn't come down from outer space. Oh, they're singing to get it down there. Shh. No, you come together, you worship. I'm right here. In fact, you know what? The Lord was here before he came this morning. He was here when I got here early. And he stayed when you came because he's here. That's how easy he says you can hear me. If you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you'll seek me with all your heart, what does that mean? Stop allowing your heart to be enticed by everything else. Give me your heart and you'll hear me. Quiet your heart and you'll hear me. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your precious people. I just thank you for this amazing life you've called us into, to walk with you and talk with you. And I pray right now, Lord, as we close with this song, that by your Holy Spirit, you give a mission to search our hearts. And as we examine our hearts, that we would give to you, Lord, every area where there's been seduction. And say, Lord, forgive me for buying into that lie. Forgive me for pursuing that thing, my time, my energy. I pray, oh God, that the one thing would truly be you. And out of that satisfaction and joy, other things will fall into their place. Things get easier, and the unnecessary gets cut away. In Jesus' name, as your heads are bowed, just let the musicians play this song. And if you do before you leave, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to do some heart surgery? And just jot down in your mind or on your phone on a notepad what the Holy Spirit is saying. There's an area of seduction. I want to set you free from this. I want you to change your course. You're invested in this. I want you to get away from the noise, and I want you to hear me. Just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as we play this song.